This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We have been talking about a lot of things as we normally do on London Live, but one common thread has been vaccinations and the fact that we hit a point in seeing an opportunity for people to go and book either by phone or online and get themselves an appointment if they were over the age of 80 or if they matched the criteria that need to be matched for right now. Joining us right now is the Medical Officer of Health with the Middlesex London Health Unit, Dr. Chris Mackey. Dr. Mackey, I think you stunned a lot of people today when you talked about how many calls you were getting on the phone only. I mean, that's that's a big number. You know, 200,000 calls within the first couple of hours. 120,000 of those were within the first 20 minutes opening at, at uh, 8 a.m. this morning. So, it was a pretty dramatic demand for this vaccine. We know that, obviously, and we've compared it to finding a way to get concert tickets. Sometimes you're going to be able to get concert tickets when you're making that call or when you're going online. Sometimes you're not, and you kind of have to wait for the next show. So instantly, that's kind of the situation that we're in. But we've got to look at this from the Middlesex London Health Unit perspective for a second. You know that you're going to have great demand how tough is it to sit there and say, oh, I, I hope the system holds up. I hope we don't get a crash. Well, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged that the website held out. Uh, we had, you know, literally about one minute of downtime right at uh, 7 a.m. when that opened. And other than that, the website's held out strong. It's 26,000 uh, hits within the first couple of hours. Uh, the, the the phone side of things, I mean, we had 10 people fully trained, ready to go, and it's just impossible to staff for 120,000 calls in 20 minutes. We would have literally had to have thousands of people uh, just for that 20-minute period. So, of course, the phone lines were overwhelmed there. I'm, you know, heart goes out to everyone who was trying to get a vaccine. must have been very frustrating to try and call in there. We hope to have more appointments available soon. And what do we know about the announcement time on that? Any idea when we might find out? Yeah, I mean, there will be more appointments opening up at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning by phone and by Internet on the website for the 80-plus crowd. Uh, We don't know at this point how many we will be able to open up. Uh, we're, We're trying to do everything possible to open up as many additional appointments and pull as much vaccine forward as possible. Okay, we're talking with Dr. Chris Mackey, the Medical Officer of Health with the Middlesex London Health Unit. Dr. Mackey, based on what happened today, any plans to change anything? Well, I mean, we obviously we will be adding more phone line staff. The, the reality is that, you know, as much as we want to make sure phone line is available as an option, the website will be a more stable platform. We can handle, you know, th- tens of thousands of web hits uh, and bookings on the website. It, it just isn't possible for us to take 120,000 calls in 20 minutes. So, so phone is always going to have its limits. We're, we're increasing capacity there. City of London has been tremendous. They've provided 10 people to staff that line. We'll be aiming to double that by tomorrow morning. But website is going to be the more reliable way of booking. Okay. 
Now, in terms of how the booking goes, we've talked with people in the UK. We can look at, say, Windsor, for example, and they will have systems where you register and then you have someone contact you and book an appointment. Is that something that was considered or would you consider that? Yeah, it's a good option. What we have is for people who are going through the website and spots are full, we have uh, an option to enter an email so that we can get back to the person and let them know when more spots are available. Uh, the system that we're using right now is called Virto. It's a very strong booking system that London Health Sciences Centre has been kind enough to essentially share with us. So, uh, And it has limitations. It doesn't use that approach. It allows real-time booking by the client, which is obviously preferable. And uh, again, if people are going to just enter their data and expect a call back, then, then you might as well just enter your data and book an appointment. So hopefully we're able to meet a, num- a number of additional um, vaccine recipient needs tomorrow morning. One of the things that we talked about with Dr. Joyce Locke an hour ago was whether or not we might have people from other areas trying to move to a different area to get vaccines. Is there any protocol in place for ensuring that the vaccines go to those proper area codes within, say, Middlesex, London, for example? You know, we don't see jurisdictional boundaries as being important. The important thing is vaccine gets into the arms of those that are eligible. And whether they happen to live in, you know, St. Thomas or London is not a big concern to me. It's a provincial resource that's being used for the people of Ontario. And that's what's most important. And the fact is preventing spread of COVID in a neighboring jurisdiction helps prevent spread of COVID here. So that's really not a negative as far as I'm concerned. It's a positive. Dr. Mackey, we do know that the province is creating a system. You had talked about this yesterday on the briefing with the Middlesex London Health Unit and the City of London, the idea of whether or not to stay with the system you have in place now or look at the provincial system. Any update on that? So provincial system won't be available until the 15th at the earliest. We don't see advantages to moving at this point, and also the province has asked that we continue with the current system. Uh, so that they can transition those who don't have any online booking system at all. Right. Okay, uh, so tomorrow... I be really clear, the online booking system is working really well. Uh, it's a phone system where the demand far exceeds capacity. And so if people are able to stick to using that website, that really helps all of us and will be a much better way of getting an appointment. Okay, and then once again, just to reiterate things, tomorrow morning there will be another opportunity. How does that work again? So 8 a.m. Uh, yes, this morning we have the website book opening at 7 and the phone lines at 8, but we're both going to be targeting opening at 8 a.m. tomorrow, and that'll be you know, primarily for those over 80 uh, to, uh, to call in and or, and or enter their data on the website. The uh, website's the best option there. Dr. Mackey, anything else you think we need to know? We're at that, uh, that point where there might be something new between the time you and I started talking and right now. So anything final that we need to know before we go? I, I don't think anything's come up in the last uh, eight and a half minutes since I called, but uh, looking forward to chatting again soon as soon as we have more development. Thank Dr. Mackey, thanks so much for the time today. Cheers. Okay, let's talk now about all kinds of things that are happening 
from a health perspective, whether it's vaccines, whether it's dealing with some of the things that are happening with COVID-19. We're lucky enough to have with us the Medical Officer of Health with Southwest Public Health, Dr. Joyce Locke. Dr. Locke, thanks for taking some time for us today. Great to be with you, Mike. Vaccines have certainly been a, a top priority. I know we'll talk about protocols with an outbreak at Ontario Police College, but what can you tell us for anybody who might be in the Southwest public health area about vaccinations? Yeah, well, lots of exciting work going on here at the health unit. We are uh, in full planning, uh, you know, working hard to get uh, a mass immunization clinic organized both in Oxford and in Elgin. Um, We got the approval yesterday to use the Memorial Arena in St. Thomas and uh, I expect to get approval for another location in Woodstock shortly. Um, we are, have also got received our, uh, our first uh, ultra-low temperature freezer, and uh, the Woodstock EMS kindly let us uh, use one of their locations, and it's uh, going through the final stages just to make sure the temperatures are all right. Uh, we're getting another one on loan from the St. Thomas Elgin General Hospital for the, uh, for the, uh, for the Elgin site. So we'll have two ultra-low temperature freezers. We've uh, been uh, forecasted to receive our first uh, allocation of Pfizer vaccine somewhere during the March, the week of March 15th um, locally. And so we do hope to start uh, opening up um, a, a few spots uh, because we only have limited vaccine. But uh, we're going to start with a few spots at our mass immunization clinics locally. Uh, hopefully the week of March 15th to start handing out our own vaccine there and then. So that's all very exciting. Um, we just also heard that uh, uh, Ontario is forced to, forecasted to get uh, some doses of AstraZeneca vaccine, and that's really exciting because it doesn't have the temperature requirements uh, for that to the other uh, that the Pfizer vaccine has, and. And hopefully we'll begin to see a more wider rollout uh, in the coming weeks or, or not too long, maybe, in, uh, in pharmacies across the province. So uh, lots of excitement happening uh, in the vaccine front. Dr. Joyce Locke joining us, Medical Officer of Health with Southwest Public Health. When it comes to the numbers of vaccine that you receive, do they give you any kind of a heads up to be prepared for 500, 1,000, 2,000? Do you get any kind of thing like that? Yeah, they do give us uh, about two weeks notice usually. Um, the uh, the they, they tell us how many doses we're going to get and when we expect them to arrive. Uh, so far, uh, up until now, um, there's been a certain amount of doses allocated to us for the Southwestern Public Health Region, but sent to the Agriplex, uh, because that's where the freezer was. Um, and so that's how our, some of our healthcare workers locally have been, uh, getting vaccinated. Also, we've been decanting vaccine from those allotments, uh, and taking them into our long-term care home and retirement homes. So uh, we're uh, hoping to work our way through the retirement homes in the next uh, few weeks, either finishing off what was assigned to us through the Agriplex or uh, and, and then beginning to dig into our own supply. Dr. Locke, we've been talking 
almost you know on and off for the last hour about some of either the challenges or the success stories of getting through in Middlesex, London, and being able to book vaccination appointments for anyone who is over the age of 80. Does that exist for Southwest Public Health now, if people were able to go to the Agriplex? Or no, they should not, people who are 80 and over should not be trying to book if they live in Southwest Public Health region? Uh, So the um, Agriplex uh, had a limited number of doses for those over 80. Uh, wanted to start at least start with some people over 80 because that's a, a, a very high priority group. Um, and so they opened up their phone lines to that. And, and of course, there was an overwhelming demand. Um, we uh, will be uh, our first doses that we will be handing out will at our mass immunization clinics locally will be to those over 80. So right now, um, if you can get through, uh, if there's any spots left over, um, if you live in southwestern public health, you can call the Agriplex because they are servicing our region with vaccine that was allocated specifically for us. But if you can just wait a little bit longer, we hope to start to get a steady supply of our own vaccine here in our region. And uh, we are working at setting up our own uh, online and uh, telephone uh, methodology to book. Uh, and more information will be coming out for that. So if, if, you, if you can just wait a few more weeks, um, uh, then uh, if you're 80 over, um, you, we should be able to service you locally. Boy, it's it's that whole case if you get so close and you think, yeah. okay, just a couple more weeks, and they just seem to be the longest weeks going. So, Dr. Locke, more information then will be coming out. And will you be planning for phone and online in terms of registration? Yeah, we, uh, you know, online is, is sort of the way of the future, but we do realize that there are a good number of citizens and uh, more of those perhaps in our older age brackets who are, uh, don't have access to online or are not as comfortable with it. And so uh, we will have a telephone capability as well. We are talking with Dr. Joyce Locke, Medical Officer of Health with Southwest Public Health. I think one of the questions that people may have is, what about people trying to book appointments in an area that they're not from how do we make sure that's not happening? Is that part of the system? Well, um, there's been discourse about that. but So health units are going to be allocated vaccine dosage depending on their populations. Um, so we certainly hope that people don't go driving hours to go get a vaccine in some other area, which may happen to be a little bit further ahead or or, um, you know, have a different type of vaccine. Um, but that said, you know, our borders are very uh, fluid. They're not hard and fast. So, you know, if you're sitting near the border of Chatham-Kent or, or Middlesex-London, or then, then you're um, quite welcome to go to uh, a vaccine air place, a place that offers a vaccine that's closer to you, even if it happens to be in a slightly different health unit. Um, so um, I think everybody is welcome everywhere, but just be aware that um, 
that in general health units and, and uh, geographies, uh, you know, once we get other providers on board, such as the pharmacies, uh, are allocated uh, doses according to the population. So uh, encourage people to stay closer to home with some flexibility for those living near borders. Okay, but that's for people living near borders. Are you saying that we have to be concerned about people saying, well, I hear that Toronto has vaccines, so I'm going to book an appointment there, and then they go there? There's no stop for that? Um, I haven't heard of uh, of any type of stop right now. Um, uh, but there, So I think, uh, but there is some discussion about what that might imply Uh for, you know, smooth distribution of vaccine across the province. So uh, at the moment, uh, we're just waiting to see if the, the province decides to be a bit more rigid on that. I think overall, we're, we're hoping that, that uh, as people do with the flu vaccine, they, in general, they tend to stay close to home. We, we understand that people sometimes work, uh, uh, you know, sometimes an hour or more away from their, from their home. And, and, uh, and and it's usually just much simpler to get the vaccine wherever you are at work. So those kind of permutations uh, are acceptable, uh, but we we don't uh, we do hope that people don't load up by the carload and go from one place to the other just to rush the line. Dr. Locke, thank you so much for that information. We're talking with Dr. Joyce Locke, Medical Officer of Health with Southwest Public Health. Before we go. Can we talk a little bit about the outbreak that occurred at Ontario Police College and where that sits now? Yeah, so um, I think the Ontario Police College reminds all of us how easily the virus can spread among people who live together. Um, And uh, so we've noticed that we do tend to get outbreaks in what we call congregate living settings. So you know, if you're living in a long-term care home or a retirement home where people live together, if, if you're in a, um, if you're at the Ontario College where they share dorms and they share, you know, eating locations, um, the, the, the virus spreads quickly. Um, and uh, so it's a reminder, again, to all of us of the importance to stay in our own little bubble. And even though we've moved down to Orange Restrict, it, it, it can't be a free-for-all. It's not like, oh, we're, we're, we can go out and, and uh, have fun with all our friends and, and from across various families. This, this virus spreads easily when you eat and, and live together. Um, and so it's a reminder to all of us to not do that. Um, so with the, the college, we've got a fair number of cases there. But the good thing is we all know where they got it. And we all know where they are, and we all know where they're going. So uh, it's a, it's in terms of containment, uh, it's been a lot of cases, but we do hope that we don't have any cases, any ripple effects that uh, that anybody who was at the college spread it outside of the college. Um, so if if that turns out to be the case, hopefully in a in a, a few weeks we'll be through this, and it'll be done and over with, and won't have any greater impact to the larger community. Are any of those students who happen to be at Ontario Police College allowed to leave the college, or are they basically being the entire everybody's being quarantined there? So uh, we have let uh, the recruits make their own choice. Uh, we've uh, uh, whether they isolate at home or some other location, or they isolate on campus. Um, 
and uh, I think that all had to do with, you know, personal needs as well as the ability to self-isolate um, uh, at home. The, the key uh, message to, to anybody who's been exposed is that you need to stay away from other people. And if you can do that effectively at home, if you can lock yourself up into a room, make sure you eat by yourself, you know, have your own bathroom, don't enter you know, interact with anybody else, then, then that's an okay place to self-isolate. So some of the recruits, in fact, the majority are seen to be staying on campus, but a few have gone home. But people in the community don't need to be worried that those individuals who have been told to isolate are leaving. No, those who have been told to isolate um, are under very close supervision by public health. Um, you know, they've, they've had their clear direction as to what we expect of them. Uh, they're called on regular basis to be sure that they're okay, you know, from their, in terms of their well-being, but also that they're adhering to the self-isolation requirements. And, uh, we, 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 uh, we, we it's, uh, that, so we don't have any concerns about, uh, these individuals, uh, going about town and, and infecting others. Dr. Locke, thank you for the conversation today and the information on everything we've been able to talk about. Please stay safe. You too. Great talking to you today. Great talking with you. That's Dr. Joyce Locke, Medical Officer of Health with Southwest Public Health. So the one thing I think, are you not hearing it out of that conversation that we are still asking people to be on the honor system? If you live in a certain area, you are not trying to get a vaccine in some other area, but there isn't really a stop measure that has been introduced by the provincial government. Should there not be? Isn't that how we organize best? We want people to behave, but let's face it, seriously, when we have the kind of demand that we saw this morning, if you are a Canadian... How do you feel about having the monarchy attached to this country? Actually, I owe Jess Brady, host of Let's Talk London between 3 and 6, I owe her an apology because as I was promoting this yesterday, the fact that we were going to have this as a conversation and talk with our good buddy Mario Canseco of Research Co., I had said that I don't think Jess would be too happy if the monarchy goes because I remember hearing her talking about getting up early for a royal wedding and that sort of thing. So Jess said, yeah, I get up early for the weddings, but I don't have a horse in the race as far as the monarchy goes. Well, how are Canadians feeling? Because for the first time in 12 years... Canadians are feeling especially something about the connection to the monarchy. Joining us is the president of Research Co., Mario Canseco. Mario, how are things? Things are great, Mike. Thanks for having me. It is great to have you here. You give us a nice COVID break so that we can talk monarchy. And the results of a poll that you did this past month, February, or sorry, a, a poll that you had done in, in February going back a year, and it looked at Canadians and whether or not they still wanted to have a monarch. What did you find? Well, it's a question that I've been asking uh, since 2009. And what's fascinating to me looking at the numbers this year is that we've never had a, such a high level of support for Canada having an elected head of state. We have 45% of Canadians who believe that when they're thinking about Canada's constitution, they would prefer to have an elected head of state. This is up 13 points from, from the survey we conducted in February 2020. 
and it's the highest level I've ever seen. You know, it's essentially a little bit shorter than 50%. When you ask Canadians in an ideal situation, what would you prefer? Uh, 45% say they want to have an elected head of state. Whoa. So you're seeing essentially the highest level of Canadians in 12 years saying, nah, not too interested anymore? Exactly. And what is happening more than anything, you know, going back to some of the surveys that we conducted before, um, Quebec is usually on the uh, you know far side of things. You know, we have 57% of Quebecers who say Canada should have an elected head of state. This has been traditional. Um, there's not a lot of support for the monarchy or the royal family, for that matter, when you look at Francophone Quebecers. But the numbers are pretty high everywhere else. 43% in Ontario, 43% in Alberta, 42% in BC. So even if you were to take Quebec out of the numbers, you still have a plurality of Canadians who say, if we're going to rethink our relationship to the monarchy, we should have a serious discussion about having an elected head of state. We're talking with Mario Canseco, president of Research Co. Okay, if we are going to continue on, because the federal government certainly hasn't really stated that they're interested in making any changes right now, even though this is significant, if we're looking at the highest numbers in 12 years, that would say, okay, we're, we're done with this. Let's say that we do continue on with the monarchy as part of Canada going beyond Queen Elizabeth II, if she were to abdicate the throne or, you know, if, if all of a sudden we had a vacancy in the throne, who would Canadians like to see succeed her? Well, this is where it gets really interesting because uh, we have a very low level of support for the notion of Prince Charles becoming king after Queen Elizabeth II. Only 22% of Canadians uh, say that that would be their choice. There's more who say, I don't want a king, 29%. But 35%, more than a third of Canadians, say that they would prefer to see Prince William becoming king after Queen Elizabeth II. We've seen some changes in other monarchies around the world over the past five or six years where the monarchs decide to abdicate a little bit earlier than usual. We saw it in Spain, we saw it in Belgium, we saw it in Japan. So this is not out of the question in that sense. But the reality here is that um, there's a higher level of support for William, particularly with the younger generation. I think we see here a situation where uh, millennials are really not that in tune with what is happening related to the monarchy, but they certainly know who Prince William is. And they just don't see Prince Charles as a person they want on their coins and bills. Isn't that interesting? All right, even though they may not be able to ascend to the throne, you also asked about some of the other royals or sort of royals. I don't even know how to refer to Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, because uh, she's still trying to figure out with Prince Harry whether they're still a part of the monarchy. But you asked about other individuals. How did Canadians feel about them? Do they have a favorable opinion of someone like Meghan, Duchess of Sussex? Uh, yes, it's actually quite remarkable in the sense that uh, the level of favorability continues to be the highest for Queen Elizabeth at 70%. Uh, this is uh, notable because there's a lot of people who don't want to have a monarch. And, you know, those who say, I want to have an elected head of state, 
even that group definitely has a favorable view of Queen Elizabeth. And the numbers are fairly similar for Prince William and Prince Harry, 67% and 66%. Of course, who knows how we're going to be referring to Prince Harry in February of next year. So that's a little bit of a complexity there. And the numbers are also high for their wives. Uh, Catherine, the Duchess of Cambridge, 64%. Meghan, right now, as of right now, the Duchess of Sussex, 54%. The numbers plummet when you bring Prince Charles and Camilla into the equation. 41% for Prince Charles. This is down three points from last year and only 30% for Camilla. So this is the challenge for the monarchy if you're going to build it around the image of Prince Charles. He's somebody who has a favorability rating that is 30 points lower than the current monarch. So it's not going to be that easy to try to rebuild his image. They have been trying for the past 10 years and the numbers don't move. Mario Canseco joining us as we take a COVID break by seeing how Canadians are feeling about the monarchy. One last thing, and that is you asked Canadians to look into the future. How far into the future did you ask them to go in terms of whether they feel there will still be a connection to the monarchy at that point? Well, we asked them, do you imagine a Canada where we will have an elected head of state in 20 years? And there's 49 percent who believe that we will definitely or probably continue to have a monarchy. So even though there's appetite for the idea of having an elected head of state, uh, there's really no reason that, that is leading Canadians to believe that there will be the political gravitas behind a specific political party to do something about it. Uh, and what is really interesting here is Quebec, which is the place that desperately wants to not have a monarchy, is the place that says, yeah, the rest of Canada is not going to act on this. So why even bother? <laughs> uh, Mario, this has been fun. Thanks so much for doing the research and thanks for presenting it to us this afternoon. My pleasure, Mike. Anytime. Keep safe. That is Mario Canseco, president of Research Co. So shows the confidence that the province of Quebec has in the rest of the country, probably on a lot of things, but certainly on whether or not they don't want to have a connection to the monarchy. But in 20 years, what do you think? Are we going to? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm done, so uh, probably. So that's the, uh, that's the attitude that is coming out of do you think we will have a monarchy and also should we have a monarchy and what do you think of prince charles he doesn't have a lot of fans in canada at least not as many as say Meghan markle you've been listening to the london live podcast catch the show live on weekdays from one to three 